Thank you for listening to the Calvary Chapel Lubbock podcast with our senior pastor, Ben Martinez. Don't forget to check out our website at calvarychapellubbock.church. There you'll find a lot more about our mission to love God, love people, and live radically. Now here's Pastor Ben. Now, by way of reminder, okay guys, by way of reminder, here's what we need to remember. In the book of Matthew, chapters 14 through 20, we discover, you go, what's that? All different expectations that people had about Jesus. Okay, so from chapters 14 through 20, we look at people just like us and what they expected from the Messiah. And as a matter of fact, you can actually apply that today because you can see a lot of people and their expectations about Jesus. Some people expect Jesus to be a genie in a bottle and, hey, this is what I want. God, give me everything. And why, God, are you not doing that? And they expect the Lord to do that. Other people expect the Lord to, well, he's not going to heal me. He's not going to do anything for me. I've just been had a rotten past. I've had a rotten life. And so I just have just hope to make it in by the skin of my teeth. That's kind of what's happening in the text. And in the last few chapters, but what Jesus does is he keeps healing people. He keeps doing miracles. As a matter of fact, we saw him do what? We saw him feed 5,000 people, not including women and children. We saw that. And these were Jewish people. And so again, Matthew's re- is kind of written toward the, the bent towards Jewish people. But then we also see that there's us because he, he, he fed 4,000 non-Jewish people with their women and children. So Jesus is just doing Jesus, right? And I think that is a great application we can take home today. What do you mean? Just do you. Just do you. Run in your lane. Too many times as believers, we're looking at what they're doing. Why why are you not? Oh, well, well, how come you're over? Just do you. This is what God has called me to do. I'm going to run my race. I'm going to run. And what you'll notice is you'll notice, you'll look across and you'll see people running their race. And then you're a family. And, and I love that application. We, I don't want to look at, I don't, I don't need to know what somebody else is doing and how they're doing it and what they're doing and what they're doing. I just need to run my race. I need to run my race. That's hard to do. That's really hard to do, specifically as a pastor. Well, why is that church doing that? Well, how come they're growing? Well, maybe I should do that. Well, I don't understand why. God, why are you not, why are we not growing? And, and just, Ben, 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 Ben. Just do you. Feed and love the sheep. That's all you got to do. That's all you got to do. Well, God, I want a bigger church. Well, Ben, I think 50 to 60 to 80 to 100 people are plenty for you to give an account to on the day of judgment. I have to give an account for y'all. Y'all better be good, okay? So what does Jesus do? He feeds the 5,000. He feeds the 4,000. But here's what I want you to remember. Remember that this is a sign similar to what Moses did for Israel in the wilderness. And you go, well, Ben, why is this important? Why, why, why would I just take that nugget and put it in my pocket? Here's why. Because in Matthew's gospel, he introduced some key themes. One of them was that Jesus came from the line of David. And every Jewish person went, oh, he's the Meshach. He's the Messiah. And then he said, oh, by the way, he's Emmanuel, which means God with us. But then he said, but Jesus is also the new Moses in teaching and authority. And so when he does the same miracles, the Jewish people go, oh. So what happened is that Jesus comes on the scene, he's done, and they're excited about what he's doing. They're excited, and they think, man, 
you know, different expectations. Well, he's a great prophet. He's a great prophet. Others go, no, 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 no. Um, we think he's just a really good man. Others go, no, 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 no. He's the Messiah. And we've seen several stories in people's expectations, and some are really favorable. But guess what? Others, like the Pharisees, not so favorable. Not so favorable. Now, here's what you need to take note and remember. This is going to help you in, in, in light of seeing the Pharisees do what they do to my Jesus. Okay? They have been taught all their lives that the Messiah was going to come, you guys remember that, and be a victorious Messiah. And that he was going to come and deliver and defeat their Roman bondage. So they're looking for a victorious warrior. Jesus comes on the scene, meek and mild, and they're going, no, we got to crucify this dude. This is not the Messiah. They misunderstood all of that. And so they're looking for that, and this is why they're so awful and so ugly. Well, you he can't be, no, really? I don't think so. As a matter of fact, if you're taking note, even the disciples believe that. Which makes it easier when Jesus looked at him and he said, follow me. You're going, hey, yeah, I want to rule and reign in, in Jerusalem. I want to be with my Jesus. And I want to tell those Roman soldiers that, Rah, you do this now, my Jesus is strong. That's what they were thinking. That's what they were thinking. Everybody got that? So you have the Pharisees, they're thinking this, victorious. We're, we're not going to be in Roman bondage. You got the disciples. As a matter of fact, remember Peter. Peter thought the same thing. His desire was to follow the Messiah to rule and reign with him. So much so, this was the desire of his heart, so much so that he pulls Jesus aside and rebukes him. He rebukes him. No, Lord, you're not going to go to the cross. Oh, swear be it for me. No way. No, I'll, I'll, I'll bear hug you right here, Lord, until no, we're not going to. And he does that. Why? Because he had a desire. He had a desire. Peter had something that he really desired, did he not? He wanted to rule and reign with Jesus. But get this, it was opposite of what God desired. And I thought about that. Oh, church, listen to me, how we must guard our hearts for what we want. Guard your heart. Every, I mean, well, let me say it this way. Even a true believer at times can confuse the voice of God with the path of Satan. Even true believers. And we believe with all of our hearts that it was God who spoke to us and it wasn't. Well-meaning believers will try to encourage you, but it's not the will of God for you. You're like, wow. This is what, this is what Pete's going through. Pete, Pete, listen, that's, that's not God. God told you what, this is what Jesus told you, his desire, his will, this is how he's going to save the world. And Pete, you're not listening. You're not listening. And Pete, to be honest with you, you want what you want. And it's so convicting because I think as believers we fall in that same category. Well, I want this and I want that and I want this and I want that. And God's like, no, that's not what I've called you to. That's not what I've called you to. 
So the past few weeks in our study, we, we have seen that Jesus has been doing something amazing. But it's not what we thought, okay? He's preparing his disciples. He's teaching them that the Messiah is not going to come by military might, but actually by servanthood. You go, what do you mean? He's been telling his disciples, hey, gang, come on, come on, come on. Um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have to go to the cross. I'm going to have to go die for the sins of mankind. And, and can you imagine? They're kind of going, huh? What? They're not, they're not grasping it. So Jesus, again, lovingly, I don't know how many times Jesus went by himself and said, oh, Lord, the people, the guys you gave me, oh, my goodness. I have told them straight up, and they don't listen. Kind of sounds like our kids, don't we, sometimes? I've told our kids he doesn't. I got an amen right there. The disciples just don't seem to get it. Now, the kids are really mad at me. They're like, yes, we do. So as we come to chapter 18, what Jesus does, he goes, okay, guys, we need to get, we need to get so serious here. So he teaches us a different way. If you're taking note, jot this down in chapter 18. This could be upside-down living, upside-down living. Because what Jesus does is he turns all of our value systems upside down. You guys with me? This is a good place to take notes. You go, why? Well, what does, a, what does an upside-down value system look like? You ready? Number one, you gain honor by serving others. That's upside-down living. You gain honor by serving others. And let me tell you something about servanthood. Let me tell you something about serving. Everybody wants to be a servant until you're treated like a servant. And then you get prideful and go, wait a minute, don't they know who I am? I'm the pastor. How dare they have me clean the toilets? No, bro, you're a servant. Well, I'm the senior pastor. That means you're the senior servant. Oh. Am I right? Everybody wants to be a servant. I just want to be a servant to you, God. Well, let me treat you like one. Well, why are you treating me like a servant? I'm not a second hand. No, no, no. Honor, honor. You gain honor by serving others. That's not how we've been taught. We've been taught, well, you get yours. Don't worry about them. You first. But Jesus tells us others first. Lift them up. Take care of them. Take care of them. Number two, instead of gaining revenge, you choose to forgive. That's upside down living, is it not? Instead of gaining revenge, you go, Lord, help me to forgive. Help me to forgive. That's so foreign to us because our motto is, if you do unto me, I'm going to do unto you. Only worse. And the Lord says, no, you know what? Listen, let's, let's learn to forgive. Now, when I say forgiveness, I don't mean the people that hurt you, you become BFF and then you have to have dinner every night at your house. That's not what I'm talking about. There's got to be boundaries. Can I get an amen? And there's some people that, that that's just, okay, boundaries, cool. I forgive you. That's We're good. But... Uh, and then there's some little stuff. Come on, church. There's some little stuff that we really just need to forget and get over. It's little. It's little. And just be like, in light of, Lord, you coming back, I don't want to be, you know, somebody stepped on my toe today at church, and I'm just mad at them, and, you know, 
They did it on purpose. I know they did. They saw me there. They just never liked me. You know that? I just don't understand. And we, and we hold on to it. And what happens is that you see him next Sunday, you go, there's that toe stopper. I know that's her. And all, all week long, I've just been thinking about them. They're stepping down my toe. I just know it. They just, and, and, and then some of you overthinkers, you've already created a whole scenario of why they stepped on your toe. Just let it go. Number three. Number three. You gain true wealth by giving your wealth away. You gain true wealth by giving your wealth away. That's upside-down living. That's upside-down living. I'm telling you right now, some of you in here have the gift of giving. It's a gift. It's a gift. Some of you don't have that gift. <laughs> some of you, yeah. No, here, no, take it. All right. Some of you have a gift where it's like, here, what do you need? You want, you want my shirt too? What? You know, I mean, what, what do you want? And, and I love that, but I love this. Guys, true wealth is by just giving it away. True wealth, give it, you know what? You know what? Hmm. Hmm. So that's what Jesus wants to teach us. Uh, upside down living. Our values are turned upside down. And so he's going to share with us as we continue. But today we're going to look at three stories. We're going to talk, he's going to talk about the greatest in the kingdom. Okay? He's going to talk the least in the kingdom, if you will, or the least. And then he's going to talk about the lost. Okay? So let me set the stage. You and I, we've walked with Jesus uh, on the Mount of Transfiguration. Okay? And Jesus and the three, they come down. Okay? They come down from the mountain. As they come, they see the other nine disputing with the scribes. They're fighting. They're arguing. And what are they arguing about? Well, you guys remember, they couldn't heal this, this boy that had a demon in him, a demonic boy. And the father comes rushing to Jesus' feet. Jesus has compassion on him. He told the father, bring the boy to me. He cast out the demon. The demon throws the boy on the floor. It looks like he's dead. And of course, guess what happens? The disciples come to him later and go, why? Why couldn't we do it? Why can we do it? And it's a very good question. And Jesus answers in Matthew chapter 17, 20, and 21. He says, you didn't have enough faith. You didn't have enough faith. Jesus told him, I tell you the truth. If you had faith, even as a mustard seed, you could say to the mountain, move from here to there, and it would move. Nothing would be impossible. However, this kind doesn't come out except by prayer and fasting. So they come out and say, why can we do it? And he says, guys, because first of all, you've got to spend some time praying. You've got to spend some time um, denying the flesh. That's what fasting is. It's denying the flesh to move closer to God. And we usually incorporate food. I'm not going to eat food. I'm going to fast. Now, some of us, we can't. You've got to have food. But there's a lot of other things that are pulling you away from the presence of God that you can fast. Some of us, we, we, should, we should fast television. And some of you in here go, not a problem. Like, like my wife probably never turns on the TV. You understand that? To her, if it comes on, that's her. She doesn't care one way or another. Now, music, I'll walk in the house and it'll be blasting. You know, she's doing her thing. I always turn on the TV and I wonder if I would go through withdrawals if I couldn't. What's the matter? I don't know. You know? 
Some of you might. What's wrong? <laughs> Something wrong with me, honey. You need the remote. And, 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 but we need to fast these things. Some of us go, hey, man, I can fast food. Not a problem. I, I, sometimes I don't even remember to eat. And other people are like thinking, some of you are thinking about your dinner when you're having lunch. These tacos are good. What am I having for dinner? The people that laughed are the ones who are thinking that. But, but moving forward, guys, he says we should pray and we should fast, and this is why you couldn't cast him out. And now we come to our story today. Matthew 18, notice what he says. At that time, the disciples came to Jesus saying, who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Your attention, please. How could we leave the why for the who? Lord, I couldn't cast them out. Why? Why? Now they're like, who's going to be the greatest? Who's going to be the greatest? Me? I think I should be nominated. I was called first. Melanie, I was called first. Yeah. Yeah, I think I... And, 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 and notice, and Jesus does this. He calls a little child to him. He sets them in the midst and says, Assuredly, I say to you, unless you are converted and become as little children, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. Do you see what Jesus did there? He didn't even say, oh, you, unless you're a child, then you won't be great. He says, you won't even go into heaven. But we got to do some work, guys. we got to do some work. And you go, why? This is so power-packed. Because Matthew just writes, the boys come to him, and they're asking who the greatest is in the kingdom. Now, again, before Jesus answered, before we go to that, let's do some work. Mark and Luke tell us that they were arguing about who would be greatest in the kingdom. Now, Jesus is walking ahead of them, and the guys are behind going, oh, I'm going to be the king. What about me? And, and, and they're not, they're not in, Jesus knows, he can hear, but they're trying to do it secretly. So who's going to, I think I should be the greatest. You know, you know, I've been really serving Jesus. I mean, I picked up his sandals last night, and, and I blew out the fire that we stayed. I mean, I think I should, isn't that, uh, no, I don't think so. I don't think so. I, I'm in charge of the money. Well, yeah, but, but, yeah, but, I went with him to the Mount of Transfiguration. You didn't see that. And so you understand. Could you imagine that scene? Can you imagine? Can you imagine? You go, yeah. I'll tell you why. Because we're just like the disciples. We're just like the disciples. When that pride stinks in there, whether it's at our job or ministry, well, I think I should be, I should be vice president. Don't they know who I am? Well, I think I should be singing. Well, I think I should be doing this. Well, I think I should be... And, and again, we're the same way. But let's go deeper. Let's go a little bit deeper. If you were to flip a few pages to the right, you'd come to Matthew chapter 20. And in verses 20 to 24, we learn something. And you go, what's that? This is key. This is key. Salome is the mother of James and John. And she comes to Jesus. Do you guys remember? She comes to Jesus and she asks if her boys could sit on the right hand and on the left is his kingdom. 
Let me read it to you, guys. Matthew 20, 22, it says, But Jesus answered and said, You do not know what you ask. Are you able to drink the cup that I'm about to drink and be baptized with the baptism that I'm baptized with? Good questions. Good questions. Notice, circle, underline that word. It says they. Okay? Now, when I think of they, I think all three of them. I think mom and the two boys. And they said, we are able. Let's all say it together. We are able. Can you imagine? So mama comes, mama comes and says, Jesus, what, what is it that you want, Salome? My boys, James and John, you picked them, didn't you? Yes, Salome, I picked them. Uh, I heard from the father. They're, they're good men. Mm, can I ask you a favor? What? Could they sit at your right hand and your left when you're in your kingdom? I mean, they, they, they want to be with you. And, and I mean, they need to be. What's she asking? That they would be the greatest in the kingdom apart from Christ. You, you with me? You're like, okay, yeah, yeah. The other fellas hear it, and the Bible says it makes them angry. Well, I didn't get my mom to tell. You know, my, my mom's not here. You know, you have to get your little mommy. You, know, you understand how guys are, right? These are guys. These are grown men going, mom, mom, you'd have to get your mommy. Oh, you know? But here's what I want you to see. Here's what I want you to see. So important. Very, very key. Fast forward to the cross. You understand that Salome was there too. And you're like, yeah. She's there watching Yahshua, Jesus, get crucified. Okay? He's a bloody mess. Isaiah says that you cannot recognize him, but she knows it's Jesus. And then she looks to the right, and she looks to the left, and she realizes, that could be my boys. I just asked for that position. And he said, are, are you able to? Are you about to? He knew he was going to be crucified. And what did they say? Yes, we are. They were, and so mom's going, wow. Wow. I don't know about you, but this just jumped off the page. Why? Here's why. I would bet Salome thanked God that God answered no to her prayer. She's probably looking at Jesus, dying on the cross, going, thank you, Jesus, thank you, Lord. Why? Because she could go, those could be my boys. Those could be my boys. You go, Pastor, what's your point? You ready? Jot this down. Praise God for the no's. Now, now, yeah, hold on now, because you say, you say, you're the right man. But we don't. We are conditioned to praise God for the yeses. Lord, I prayed. Amen. And God goes, yes. And we're like, mm, mm, we're dancing around. God said, yes, this is cool. Now, sometimes we'll praise God for the weights. Just wait. I got you. Wait. Okay, well, God, you know what my granddaughter says? You know what wait means? You know what maybe means? In a little while. Yes, we just, we just wait. Maybe is never no, it's just wait. Now, let me tell you what my little granddaughter does. Whenever it's no, she keeps asking. Right? Right? She's talking to Amanda earlier in the foyer. She's talking to Amanda. 
And Manna comes in and goes, oh, look at my new shoes. And and Cordy goes, oh, look at my new shoes. They're sparkly. And she goes, they were $70. Grandpa bought them. I did. Okay. And, and, And Amanda goes, really? Well, and she goes, yeah, first he said no. But then he said, okay. But then he went back and got them. That's, I'm guilty. Okay, I understand. All right. I wonder if we do that to the Lord. And we don't praise God for the no's. And then like Peter, guys, and the disciples, we have all our own desires in our heart. And when we pray to the Lord, we want, this is what we want. And the Lord says, no, 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 that's not what I have for you. And so many times we get mad and we get bummed. We should rejoice in the nose. We should rejoice in the nose, guys. And I bet Salome, if you were to ask her, she was glad that the Lord didn't say yes. Because this would have broken a mama's heart. Oh, no, no, no. <laughs> Time out, Lord. I didn't, I didn't mean for, for you to kill them, Lord. I, I sit in your kingdom. I want them to be the greatest. Well, see, in order to be the greatest in the kingdom, what does Jesus say? Well, he's going to tell us. He's going to tell us. But before we go on, I want you to stop and thank the Lord when he answers our prayer with a no. With a no. So many times we're conditioned that we want what we want. This is what it should be. God, yes. No? No, that's not, that's not what I have for you. Well, God said maybe, so it's a yes. No, it's a no. It's a no. And we should be at that point, guys, where we say, amen. What happened? Well, I asked the Lord for this, and he said no. That tells me that he has something far better for me, or he's protecting me from something. Right? Right? I have my own little story. I had my own little story. Guys, when, when Nathalie and I were first married, we, we bought our first mobile home, right? That's all we could afford. Two young kids, not, not having a, a plan in sight, but in love. And we went out to buy our first mobile home, and it was a small mobile home, but it was nicer than what we had. We had a small two-bedroom, and we were a growing family, and I said, we need a bigger mobile home. So we went out, and, and, um, and based on our income and, and all that stuff, the mobile home said, guys, like, no, you don't qualify. You don't qualify for a bigger mobile home. This is too much. And we're like, oh, we're sad. Hey, but I'll tell you what, Mr. Martinez, if you get a cosigner, then we could, we could get you this mobile home. And I said, okay, I'm going to go get a cosigner. So I went and asked my father-in-law, hardest thing I ever did. Because now I'm under his. Anyways, uh, he said, sure, okay. I, you know, I'm doing it for my daughter, not for you. Uh, let, de- definitely let me know that. Went over there, used his credit for some reason. Um, they came back and said, no, Mr. Martinez, I'm sorry, with the cosigner, he's good, but you, with you on there, it's not going to approve. Um, would he buy it for you? And so I went back, and, I, and, I, and, and, that, and the Lord was saying, what was the Lord saying? No. And be patient, because believe it or not, just a few months later, we tried again, and I remember telling my wife, I remember just being so encouraging to her, so encouraging. I told her, don't get your hopes up, but this is not going to happen. <laughs> I really did. I mean, and it was a beautiful home. It was bigger. It had an island kitchen, everything she wanted. And you know what the Lord did? He goes, this is the one I have for you. And I got approved all by myself. 
But but again, I I got to be honest with you. I didn't rejoice in the no. I was like, why are you so why why are you so mean, God? Why why can't I have this? I mean, my family's growing and blah 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 blah. blah. And the Lord's like, stop it. We need to we need to praise God in the nose. We need to rejoice when God says wait. And of course, we give Him glory when He says yes. Those are answered prayers. Every prayer is answered, but sometimes it's a no. It's a no. Uh, that's, that's a lesson we can learn. Okay, let's go back. Let's see what Jesus says. Go back to Matthew. Matthew, he says, Then Jesus called a little child and said, He set him in the midst and said, Assuredly I say to you, unless you are, what's that word? Converted. Everybody see that word? And become as a little children, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, I want you to circle that word. Why? Because you can write next to it, born again. That's what it means, born again. He says, unless you are born again, born from above. This is what he's saying, okay? Unless you are born from above. Now, here's what I want you to see. Unless you are born again and have, jot this down, childlike faith. Childlike faith. You will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. What's he not saying? He's not saying, men, that we have to act like children. Unless you, yeah, look at Adam. He's like, what? Our wives go, see, he's not telling you. Jesus said I can act like a kid. That's not what he's saying. He's saying you have to have childlike faith. Childlike faith. Why? Because a child illustrates humility and dependence. That's what a child does. Humility and dependence. So as Jesus looks at the audience, the child represented someone completely reliant on others. Perhaps even a burden. Why? Well, children without status in the ancient world and at the mercy of adults. So they had no status and they were always at the mercy of the adults. Okay? So, very, 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 very important. Think about your, think about your little one. Okay? Childlike faith. Never once has my kids and my granddaughter, my little ones that I'm around me, come in and worry about the house payment. Never. She's never come in and says, she's gonna, Grandpa, we need to talk. Well, what's on your mind, sweetie? Are you making the house payment? Because I don't know, you know, uh, what about food? What about food? No, no, you know what she does? She says, Grandpa, can I go with you to the grocery store? And then my bills end up another 20 or $30 higher. You understand? Because Grandpa can't say no. <laughs> Grandpa can't say no. Can I have this, Grandpa? Okay, you know, I'm trying to say no. But that's just, that's just how I am. That's just how I am. They're so dependent on us, guys. And, and, and I want you to take a moment and look at your walks and, and ask the Lord, am I that way with God? Do I just trust him? Do I just trust him? Like I'm so dependent on him. Or do I worry about all that's going on? You don't understand the world, the world, Lisa, the world. Now, you know what? God's on the throne. And what does a child do? He just lives. And that's what people get bugged about, don't they? 
when you're so, you're so trusting in the Lord, you're so in love with the Lord, they get so mad at you. You're supposed to be mad like me. You're supposed to be stressed out. I can't believe it. Why? God's got this. God's got this. Yeah, you could lose everything. That's what he's saying. Notice the application. Verse 4. Therefore, whenever we see a therefore, we need to see what it's there for. Okay? Therefore, whoever humbles himself as this little child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And whoever receives one like this child in my name receives me. Now, here's what he's saying. Jot this down. Humility leads to greatness. Humility. Okay, let me, let me ask you guys this. How many of you know, how many of you know and feel like when your, you know the difference between your humility and your spirit and your flesh rising up? We know it, right? We can tell the difference. We're like, oh. How do you know? Because if you're walking in the spirit, you're looking at others. You want to lift others up. If you're walking in the flesh, it always goes to I. I. Me. What? I. I deserve. I get this. I want. And he's saying, no, 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 no. Here's the thing, guys. Humility leads to greatness. Think about the missionaries. There was a couple of missionaries that had been serving overseas for 30 years. You guys know that they came back and they came over for 30 years and, and just on the same plane was a, was this, this, uh, celebrity. And so, and so there was all this fanfare and all this, ah, and when the missionaries came up, they walked out. She's like, oh, is this for us? And of course it wasn't. They all ran to the celebrity and took pictures and everything else. And she looks at her and she says, we've been serving the Lord for 30 years out in the foreign world. And, and we get, we get no fanfare when we're, when we come home. We get no, nobody's here to greet us. Nobody's here to love us. The husband looks at her and goes, sweetie, we're not home yet. We're not home yet. That's humility. And the greatness will come, guys, when they, oh, well done. Wow. Wow. What if God has it designed that everybody that we've ministered to, been a part of, led to the Lord is in heaven and they rejoice when you get there? There's her. Look, oh, it's feathers. Oh, my goodness. Come on in, feathers. This is great. And you're like, what? Well, you helped lead. You were the, and, and, and you're just like, wow. This is what the Lord is telling us, guys. Humility leads to greatness. Listen to the way Warren Wearsby comments about this. I like the way he does that. He says this, quote, a child, a child is Christ's illustration of greatness. Honor comes from humility. We must go down before God will lift us up. All great saints have been humble saints. While children aren't sinless or perfect, they do have the characteristic that ought to be in every Christian's life. What are they? They are teachable, simple in their wants, and have expectant attitudes and depend on their fathers to meet their needs. Of course, the only way we can become children is to be born again. So those are some solid questions in your life. You go, what are they? Am I teachable? That's what you got to ask. Am I teachable, Lord? Okay. Do I have simple wants? Do I have an expectant attitude? Lord, you're great. And do I trust that their father is going to meet our needs? Come on, somebody. This is what he's saying. This is what he's saying. I love that. 
Now, this is what he says. That's the greatest. Everybody got that? Now let's talk about the least. And here it's going to get really serious. It's going to get serious. Look at verse 6. Whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he be drowned in the depths of the sea. Your attention, please. This is Jesus. Jesus said this. And you go, well, what's something? Now, here's what you need to know. There are two millstones in grinding wheat, okay? There are two millstones. There's a little one about this big, and then there's a giant one. The giant one is the one that goes around the trough, right? And it rolls and it rolls. I mean, he's talking about the big one. You're not talking about the little one. And he says this. He says, do you want to talk about something? He says, whoever causes one of these little ones. Now, he was talking about childlike, talking about born again. He says, if you cause those who believe in me to sin, it would be better. It would be better. It would be better for him that a millstone was hung around his neck and he was drowned in the depths of the sea. Now, he's talking about sin, is he not? The other day, I was at the gym working out, okay? And they have the music playing at the gym, and a popular 80s song came out. And I was listening to that, and you want to get your pump on, and you're just like, you know, I can bench press a little. Anyways, and so I started listening to the song, and it stopped me in my tracks. Okay? And it's a popular 80s song, and here's what it says. Here's a little of the lyrics. It says, My cat is purring, it scratches my skin, so what is wrong with a night of sin? That's the lyric. That's the lyric. I went, knowing what I was teaching, that stopped me in my tracks. But Jesus tells us what's wrong with sin. He tells us. He says, if we cause a little one to stumble, to sin, here's what I want you to see. It would be better. Everybody say better. Why is that important? Here's what I want you to do. I want you to circle that word, underline it, highlight it, and you go, Ben, why would I? Here's why. Because, think about this. If you were to take a millstone, tie it around your neck with a little rope, and drop it into the sea, think about this. Think about it. Okay? The very first thing would happen is your neck would break. That's the first thing. You go, okay. Not only, just say you happen to live, like you don't die with a broken neck. What's happening is you're plummeting so fast into the, that your insides are going to explode based upon the pressure of the sea. That's why divers go slow. This is what's happening. And if you, I don't know if you would survive that, but the next thing you know, there you are at the bottom of the sea, done. And you go, wow, Ben, that's graphic. Well, here's what Jesus said. That would be better. Better? Yeah, it would be better than to cause a little one to sin. Listen, church, we have to grasp this. It's tragic when we cause a believer to stumble. Far better for you to say, I don't know, I'm not sure, instead of, instead of causing a little. This is what Jesus said. This is what, it'd be better. What's the alternative? If that's better. 
it goes on. Listen, verse 7. Woe to you, he says, woe to the world because of offenses. He says, sure, offenses are going to come. But woe to the man by whom the offenses come. Woe to the world for giving these God-believing children a hard time. Hard times are inevitable, but you don't have to make it worse. Woe to the man who causes a little one to stumble. That's sobering. That's serious. So what is wrong with the night of sin? Exactly this. Woe. The Lord is, this is, this is, this is very sobering. So much so that he says this, if your hand or foot causes you to sin, cut it off and cast it from you. It's better for you to enter into a life lame or maimed rather than having two hands, two feet, and be cast into everlasting fire. Do you guys see that? Now, again, he's not saying that you cut off your hand because if I were to cut off my right hand, I could still sin with my left. If I cut off my foot, I mean, we would look like a, we would all be messed up, right? We'd all be like, you know, I mean, just, that's what he's saying. But the thing that jumped off that page to me, guys, is he said everlasting fire. If you have a pencil handy, that's eternal judgment. That's hell. That's hell. He says, it's better for you to do drastic measures. Drastic measures. Listen, if you are hooked on pornography, drastic measures. Whatever it takes to keep you away from that. This is what he's talking about. If, an, if your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out and throw it away. Why? For it's better for you to enter into life with one eye rather than having two eyes and be cast into hellfire. Uh, Pastor Ben, Jesus never talked about hell. Yes, he did. He talked to... He, he. Now, Christ is not speaking literally when he commands us to cut stuff off, Okay? The members of the body that cause us to sin, for sin comes from where, guys? From the heart and not the hands or the feet. What's he saying? You ready? He's saying, deal with our sins drastically, completely, mercilessly, mercilessly. And like the way a surgeon would deal with a cancerous growth. Pull it out. About a year and a half after Natalie had breast cancer, they had taken the lump out. And they had taken, they had moved several lymph nodes, and and about a year later, she said she still felt something right here. And so the doctor freaked out. Oh my gosh! I thought we and and so he was really freaked out because he goes, you know, sweetie, we hit you with some big guns. We have something right here. I'm I'm, I'm just really afraid. And so they came to us and they go, Mr. Martinez, what do you want to do? Do you want to do a biopsy? And I said, Well, let me ask you a question. If it's a leftover lymph node, what are you going to do with it? And they said, Well, we want a biopsy. And I said, Well, if you don't do a biopsy, what would we do? Well, obviously it's got to come out. And I said, Well, let's well let's skip the just take it out. Don't waste time trying to do this and do that and try to figure if it is cancer. She's had cancer. Let's remove it and get it out. And that's what Jesus is saying about our own sin. Drastically, hey, I've got to put a stop to this. I've got to put a stop to this. I've got to cast it out. That's what he's saying. Why? He says because we're in danger when we don't. When we don't. 
I was watching a documentary this past week of uh, certain um, big pastors that actually had fallen. And one of them we had talked about yesterday in the men's group was Ravi Zacharias. Now, Ravi Zacharias had a great ministry, but they was doing things on the side that was, that was not, that it was not a Christian. That was not. His lifestyle was not, he was, he was behind and he had a great ministry and he's telling you. And then he, and then he had like a, and, 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 and I'm thinking, We can't do that. You see, because he hid it from everyone. But eventually it came out, did it not? And the Bible says that our sin will find us out. We can try to hide it. You can hide it until you die. Eventually. And it would have been far better for these men to say, hey, hey, I'm I'm really struggling. I'm really I'm really this is this is not right. This is sin. This is sin. Here's some application. You ready? We must all face our sins honestly. We must, we must confess and forsake them. And if our sins have caused the little one to stumble, confess it to them and ask for forgiveness. I'm so sorry. Will you please forgive me? That's how serious sin is. Now, let's go to the lost real quick. Verse 10. He says, Take heed that you do not despise one of these little ones. For I say to you that in heaven their angels are always see the face of my Father who is in heaven. For the Son of Man has come to save that which was lost. Now, here's what I want you to see. Again, the word here for despise means stumble. Okay? It's, he says, take heed, listen up, your attention please. Do not stumble one of these little ones. Why? It's a serious thing. As a matter of fact, the word of God just said that these little ones have guardian angels at the face of God. And they're saying, hey, Hey. So what is he saying, guys? Well, the entire passage warns us not to offend children, not to make them stumble, not to despise the children or to allow them or allow them to perish without Christ. You know, Ben, well, they're grown people. They they can do No, our job, our job is to You guys ready? Is to reflect the love of Christ. That's all you got to do, just be a reflector. Just reflect the love of Christ. And if they make the choice to shun you and, and whatever it might be, then you're just reflecting God. You're just reflecting God. But never count God out. He's always working. And it may not be in your timing, but your family is going to be saved. He's, he want, he's so, so desirous. And I know moms and I know grandmas have been praying and crying out to God for the, for the salvation of their family. I know that. And here's the encouragement. He's working on it. He's working on it. Here's why. Because the people that you're praying for, those, you know, oh, well, I don't need to be a Christian mom. That's just, they're looking at the world and they're going, something's not right. What do we got to do? What do we got to do? I just gave you the instructions. Reflect the love of Christ. Reflect the love of Christ. That's what he's saying. 
Notice what he says in verse 12. What do you think? If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them goes astray, does he not leave the ninety-nine and go to the mountains to seek the one that is straying? If he should find it, assuredly I say to you, he rejoices moreover in that sheep than over the ninety-nine who didn't go astray. Even so, it is not the will of your Father who is in heaven that none of these little ones should perish. Now, guys, think about this. We often wonder, be honest, we often wonder why the Lord would leave 99 for the one until we're the one. Right? We're like, Lord, why would you leave 99? 99, 99 are better than... Until you're the one that's strained. And then you're like, Lord, come and get me. Come and get me. But here's the point. God's heart is not willing that any of these little ones should perish. Now, let me tell you. Let me tell you a little story. Okay? Let me tell you a little story. If you are a shepherd and you got 99 sheep. Okay, all of you go, bah, come on. You're all sheep. Thank you. You guys are so good. But Raina, she gets picked on today. She decides to leave the flock. And she goes run off. I'm going to leave the 99 to go find Raina. Yeah, she's like, yeah she's, she hadn't heard the rest of the story yet. Here's what a shepherd would do. A shepherd would find it. Guess what he would do? He'd bring it back to the flock. If Raina ran off again, he'd find it, and he'd break her legs. And he'd carry the sheep around his neck like this until the leg healed. Now, you all think, no, she's, Raina's like, ah, that hurt. Of course it hurts. But what happens, guys, is eventually... He puts Raina down and she's got a little limp. She doesn't wander anymore. She stays here. Now, think about that. Think about that as your shepherd. That's what Jesus does. And sometimes when he goes and he finds us and he brings us back, that's a good lesson. But if we wander again and he breaks our legs... That hurts. Now, emotionally, we could be hurting that way, right? Well, this I wandered off and, and consequences of my sin were horrible. Those are, he brought you back. He brought you back. This is what he's saying. This is what he's saying. So as we close, we talked about the greatest. What does it mean to be the greatest in the kingdom? Church, listen to me. Walk in humility. Walk in lowliness. Esteem others higher than yourself. This is what Jesus is saying. He says, be careful with the least. And here's what we learn. That sin is a very serious thing. And we can't just be like, ah, sin. (laughs) Sin. It's no big deal. It's very serious. The Lord very is very sober when causing a brother or sister to, sum, to stumble or to sin. And this should be a wake-up call for us this morning. I don't want to cause a brother or sister. To, I don't want to cause a little one to stumble. Okay. Let's, a couple of takeaways. A couple of takeaways as we close. Number one, be careful 
about our desires and our prayers. Can I get an amen? Be open to the Lord when he says no. Rejoice that he's guiding you in your journey. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. If he says no, then be patient. Something is coming that's way better, and God knows. That's what we take away. Number two, the seriousness of sin. The seriousness of sin. Be careful, church, that we don't cause a brother or sister to stumble. Why? Because we learned what would actually be better. And it's not good. So be careful. Let that sink in. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word today and the truth in your word. And we thank you for your great love for us. Lord, you said that offenses are going to come, Lord. I don't want to be the cause of an offense. Lord, I'm not perfect, so I need your Holy Spirit to help me. Lord, I don't, we don't get up in the morning and purposely want to cause a brother or sister to stumble, to doubt you. We don't want to mislead you or, or, or to mislead them. So, Lord, all we're asking for you this morning is that we would be reflectors of who you are. And we don't have to have every answer. We don't have to have theological degrees. All we have to do is reflect your love. And even if we say, I don't know, but I'll find out, or, or hey, here's what I do know, and, 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 and please be careful, because that could hurt. And Please, Lord. So, Lord, we ask that, Lord, we would rejoice. And, Lord, even, even when you say no, you might say no to a bigger building or you might say no to whatever it might be. Lord, you know what's better. And so, Lord, we thank you. We thank you, we thank you, we thank you. We thank you for eternal life. We thank you for heaven. We thank you that one day, God, we're going to be with you. I thank you for every, 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 every person that's here. Lord, their family, and I thank you. Thank you for teaching us from your word, Lord. We love you, Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen. We hope you enjoyed today's message. We'd love to hear from you and see you in person at the church. You can find our contact information, location, and even give a donation at calvarychapellubbock.church. We'll see you next time on the podcast. Until then, may God bless you and your family.